Hey everyone, welcome back to Rebranding Safety with <clears throat> myself James and Risk Fluent. This is episode 3. Episode 3 is why I am worried that fire, the fire safety industry and the management of fire safety in all industries won't change. Even after the tragic event of Grenfell. Okay, let's get into it. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. Firstly, <clears throat> I want to say a couple of things. First, let's um, let's just have a little bit of a, a moment for for Grenfell. Obviously, it's a year and a half, over a year and a half now, um, from that tragic event, and um, <clears throat> and I think no matter what we discuss um, fr- from here onwards, um, it's worth saying that that in my opinion that should never have happened. There, there's just no way that oh, I would have thought that could have ever happened in in the current uh in the current culture maybe not cult- maybe culture is not the right word but the current setup of legislation and guidance etc cetera, etc cetera. you know in my opinion they just just shouldn't have happened um and as much as conversation I'll go on will be around legislation etc cetera, etc cetera, and I just want to say that I do welcome any increase in and change in legislation that will improve fire safety, such as making sprinklers mandatory in certain buildings, um, I would never turn that away, uh, and I would never say that that's not a good thing. Um, so, so yeah, I just wanted to say that. Secondly, uh, I'll get a bit of a rant out of the way with um, if, if if there's any of you out there that are sitting as responsible persons on a building or a process or a factory or a hospital or a GP or a block of flats or anything, and you've got the slight inkling that, hmm, this place would probably be a significant fire if this happened or this happened, sort it out, pull your finger out and go and look into it. Don't sit there thinking someone else will do it or sit there waiting for the Hackett Review to tell you or the government to tell you. You're the responsible person. Sort it out. Rant over. So, I'm also a little bit buzzing um, about today because my podcast is now on Spotify and Google Podcasts, so I was a little bit buzzing for that. also slightly bummed after today so i went to inside government <coughs> seminar on uh, fire safety in housing um and and a little bit bummed um which has kind of brought me on to why i decided to do fire safety as episode 3 it, my original intention was to not talk about fire for uh, for quite a while if i'm honest because it pretty much dominates my job every single day um and it's pretty much what i do now and obviously, I just, as much as I didn't, I, I think Grenfell needs to be constantly spoken about and we need to not forget that, I kind of wanted to avoid it for a bit. I didn't want to set the tone as uh, it come off, you know, I'm doing this off the back of Grenfell and I didn't really want to do that. However, today's kind of 
um, conversations that I was hearing just just really bummed me out, and I thought, Do you know what, I want to I want to talk about this. So that's why. Anyway, that's rants, that's caveats, that's um, moans all out of the way with. Let's get into the actual podcast. Okay, let's go. So, why I am worried <clears throat> that fire safety industry won't change. Um, hopefully you'll listen to the end. Uh, if you're thinking of not, then uh, you're going to miss out on uh, five quick tips to immediately improve your fire safety management system, um, which, FYI, to try and pick five was, was quite difficult. So, hopefully you'll listen to the end and you won't get too bored so you can get your five tips. Anyway, let's go. So, kind of in summary of today, so I'll just give you a bit of a story, a bit of a discussion around what today was and kind of explain um, how it made me feel and um, what I want to talk about. So, in essence, it was a lot of people from a lot, a lot of different areas, all quite senior people, all involved in fire around the housing sector. So... Whilst the all the information that we got today um, was was on point was spot on and the general consensus from today's seminar from the crowd and the people um, was that something needs to change so everyone was in agreement that something needed to change but for some reason I still came away a bit worried actually very worried come away with this this sense of unease um, because it's kind of metaphorically reading between the lines um, that unless legislation changes and tells people responsible people you must do this I don't think they'll do it and I think we can see that from you know the fires from like Lucknow and places that um, fires that came before that we can see that the you know i think it was after lucknow for example the government put out guidance to say avoid uh cladding there was also guidance i think if i remember rightly somebody told me there was guidance uh, around sprinklers and and trying to be proactive and all all fire services and all guidance will say that sprinklers will actively reduce the 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 risk to life or the loss of life in a in a in a fire but so many places don't do it and we can still wrap in buildings in in this cladder so and and just before we go any further i i am not going to get too technical um so you know if you're like oh fyi the cladding was uh, a type c you know i'm, I'm not bothered i'm not going to talk about technicalities because that's not what i want to focus on so let's move on so I mentioned sprinklers. Sprinklers is a good example of, of why I felt like this. So I'm sure if any of you work in health and safety, fire safety, compliance or, you know, senior management role in in anything, really, you'd have talked about uh, sprinklers at least once since the Grunfeld fire. So and you're all probably aware of Dame Judith Hackett's report um, for Building a Safer Future, um, commonly referred to as the Hackett Report, which I refer to it as. So for lack of a better phrase, Hackett's review took an absolute bashing today in this seminar. An absolute bashing, especially around sprinklers. But before I get into that, one of the speakers hit the nail on the head for me. Um, and, and he said that anyone 
that worked in fire prior to um, Grenfell will have read the report and gone, yeah, there's no surprises in there. I knew, I knew that was, yeah, I knew that was a problem. So if there was no surprises, then why did Grenfell happen? Because if no surprises, that implies that we knew about it. So if we knew about it, why don't we do something about it? So, the whole room, we'll come back to that point, by the way. I just want to put that out there, hopefully get your cogs moving. We will come back to that. So, back to sprinklers. The whole room <clears throat> pretty much agreed that sprinklers should be installed on high-rise flats, right? The definition of high-rise varies, um, and that's another argument that I'm not going to get into, but on high-rise flats, for example. So... The discussion then went on, and this is where she took a back it, uh, bashing, Judith Hackett did, and the report, was that she didn't, in writing, in word for word, say that it is mandatory to, or it should be mandatory to install sprinklers. So it didn't recommend that that goes into legislation. But there wasn't any discussion around how much Dame Hackett went into detail about creating a sustainable management system and a sustainable culture. And culture there for me is the most important word. Now, I get a bit funny about some people using the word culture because it's thrown around ugh, like like a hot potato. It's unbelievable. Everyone's like, oh yeah, we've got to work on culture, we've got to work on culture, but they don't actually grasp how difficult that can be, but then again, how positive that is. So we all talk about culture, but but we don't actually back it up. Yeah, we talk the talk, but we don't we don't walk the walk. So in essence, this is this is why I think we're gonna struggle. So I think unless we unless we address this negative compliance with the law-based culture in both housing construction and, if I'm honest, in nearly all of areas of health and safety, but mostly fire, um, I don't think we'll change and I don't think we'll improve and I don't think we'll get to the point, back to the point where we were, where we the leaders in health and safety. We made health and safety, we made the health and safety at work out. When I say we, I mean the British, yeah, so, so we wrote that. We should be leading the way, but yet we've fallen behind. In America, they've got these really... You, I just, I just think it's an amazing idea that over a certain height, uh, high-rise flats, they must have a concierge. I, I just think that's phenomenal. I think the the amount of things that a concierge can do for a property is is great. Um, you know, they can... We've all seen it in the films, whistling taxis and all this, managing maintenance of the building, that, that go-to guy. But in a fire, that person becomes that conduit of communication between the tenants and... And the fire service. So then we had to tell the fire service, oh no, Miss Blah Blah in flat 76, she's she on holiday. Oh right, okay, so we don't need to worry about flat 76. You know, they have these kind of conversations. I think that's phenomenal. Americans are also quite big on sprinklers. You know, they've got quite, they, they have sprinklers in a lot more of their properties than we do. Yeah. And I think they're just open to change a bit more than what, than what we are. And I don't know, you might disagree on that. But I think when it comes to fire safety especially, we're a little bit stuck in our ways. So, what I'm talking about here, I've touched on it briefly, but what I'm talking about here is moving away. And this is also, I think, what Dame Judith Hackett's trying to get to as well. And she, she actually says it quite specifically in, in a couple of 
areas in her report. But what I'm trying to say here is that we move away from focusing on legislation and compliance to a risk-based culture. So we're making risk-based decisions. We're looking at a property or a process from a risk-based position. Okay, so a really good example for that is designing a building. Okay, so designing a block of flats. And sorry for those of you that don't work in in construction or in housing. Excuse me, just get a drink. Uh, Don't don't work in those industries uh, and it might get a little bit... Um, one-sided and you might get a bit bored uh, but hopefully not because these these eyes there these ideas and these concepts they apply to every industry okay so they apply all across the thing all across um the industries it's just it's just these are it's so prevalent at the moment okay anyway so let's take this example which i've um heard a while back so a property being designed um with a lovely flat for a wheelchair user a suitable flat on the second floor the building has one staircase, one non-firefighting lift. Uh, the building is five stories high. Um, compartmentation, for those of you that don't know what compartmentation is, it's um, it's resistance to fire. So a compartment, for example, will be 30 minutes or 60 minutes. That means that the fire will stay in that compartment for 60 minutes. So in a flat, it has to be 60 minutes between each flat. Okay, so the compartment designed for the building for a delayed evacuation, more commonly known as stay put, for those you don't know, stay put means, <coughs> excuse me, if you're in a normal commercial property, the fire, say you're in an office, the fire alarm goes off, you all get out, that's called simultaneous. So if you live in a flat, a stay put would mean that you stay inside that flat because it's been designed to have a stay put um stay put policy therefore it's been designed to have a 60 minute compartment between each flat okay fyi if you have or you live in a converted flat which is a house or a previously commercial building or something like that converted into flats it is very difficult to get stay put so if you have stay put in those properties be 100 percent sure if you're the building owner that you have full uh, evidence of the compartmentation because that's extremely difficult to get so the guidance normally says if it's a converted property it's not stay put anyway so back to our example so we're talking wheelchair user second floor one staircase uh non-firefighting lift but there is a lift in the property uh five stories high compartmentation sign designed for delayed evacuation so it's fully compliant to all part, all relevant parts of the building regulations. So some questions you might ask if you if you were pitched this design, for example, does it have sprinklers? The answer you might get off an, off an architect would be, no, it doesn't. It does not go over the required height to require having sprinklers. Therefore, it's compliant. Another question you might have is, does it have a firefighting lift? Well, we've already we've already discussed this, haven't we? Is the answer you might get back off a architect? No, it doesn't need one. It's not over the certain size or height um, to require one. Therefore, compliant. So one final and key question you might have then is, right, so how does this wheelchair user get out of the building if they need to? the architect might then respond is stay put it's compliant to which then 
a competent fire risk assessor or anyone with a bit of sense of knowledge around fire and risk might then respond, yeah, it is stay put, referred to, well, should be referred to as a delayed evacuation, therefore implying that they would at some, they may at some point need to evacuate the property. So, when would they need to evacuate a property? Well, if the fire's in their flat, do they need to evacuate on a stay put policy? Yes. Stay put is only for those people that the fire is not in their property. Okay. If the fire breaches their flat, yes, they would evacuate. Okay, right. So, in essence, they would need to evacuate at some point, maybe. Might get to a point, and probably not now, and it is open for discussion, especially with the fire service, but there may be a point where the fire service tells that person they need to get out in the event of emergency. So let's say, for example, you would get something like Grenfell and then be a, they might make the executive decision to say, no, you've got to evacuate. Or they might say, these 10 rooms need to evacuate because we think they're at risk. So in essence, there is a point where they may need to evacuate. Therefore, I'm sorry, but that building is not compliant based on the level of risk, based on risk. It is not compliant. In essence, guys, that, that kind of example of, of designing a property will, or it's might quite likely that it could have passed building regs. It passed, it might pass, it would pass, pass planning, sorry, eat my words, pass planning. It could even pass building control when it's finished. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about focusing on the risk of a building, looking, taking a step back and just focus, looking at the overall risk. And that's what, Dame Judith Packett's talking about when she talks about safety cases is developing an overall safety case of the building. So there's a couple of other things that she talks about, but essentially that is quite a big culture change from legal compliance to risk. And it's, in my opinion, it's absolutely vital for us if we're going to make any improvements in fire safety. She also puts quite a big emphasis on the culture change from non-worsening to a constantly kind of improving standard. So what's non-worsening? Non-worsening is as long as we are not, when we make changes to a property, as long as we're not negatively affecting the current control measures or the current level of risk uh, in a property or in our buildings or in our factories or whatever, um, then we don't have to upgrade to the new standards, yeah? It's kind of like... Um, you don't have to rewire your house to the new standards of electric, uh, the, the wiring regs uh, as long as you don't do any significant changes. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the same as that. So if we stick, if we come away from a non-worsening <coughs> culture, we're, we're talking about risk assessments and aren't we? So a question we might, you might be thinking now is, yeah, that's, that's well and good doing risk assessments, but... The competence of a fire risk assessor is a bit of a mixed bag, wouldn't you say, James? I would be inclined to agree, for sure, if someone was saying that, because it is. I mean, essentially, when I first started doing <clears throat> fire risk assessments, I, I had no qualifications. I just had a bit of an interest and, and went and read up and taught myself. Um, so, so, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> However, there is guidance around it. Um, so, 
you know that 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 again did come up today in in the conversation and the response again was oh we need to lobby government and in getting it you know legislated and and as much as i do agree with that i do think that that is is only a good thing um i would i would be inclined to turn around and say that you you knew that there was guidance and there are currently registers of competencies for fire risk assessments and if you're a responsible person of a building uh, hiring a risk assessor then then you you probably knew that anyway but you chose to go with the probably cheaper uncompetent they may not be uncompetent they may they may just be unaccredited um which is which is fine um but but you chose to take that risk uh you chose to go with an unaccredited unregistered risk assessor versus a increasingly competent and registered one you know you don't you don't you chose to make that decision you don't need the law to do more um fyi that is my new saying um you yourself need to do more now <clears throat> i am a massive massive advocate of not going over the top of health and safety it is in my, in my opinion the one reason why we have ruined health and safety is by going over the top and expecting gold standards where gold standard is not required um and that's kind of i'm kind of contradicting that now but but then i'm not as well so a fire is such a massive risk that going over the top or not going over the top but providing a good good several layers of of safety in my opinion is warranted um <clears throat> so if you're hiring a risk assessor have a look at the national fire chiefs council the nfcc i think that's the right way around um, have a look at their website. Um, they've they've produced guidance. If not, the London Fire Brigade (LFB) have also produced guidance. And if I remember rightly, Bath B A F H um, manages the register for fire risk assessors. So there's enough guidance out there, guys, for you to go and purchase and contract a highly competent risk assessor. So let's bring it back to sprinklers. So. If you work in housing, you'll agree, for example, that communal space management is an absolute absolute nightmare. Those of you that don't work in housing, communal space management is talking about uh, somewhere that is not owned. So a block of flats, the stairwell and the corridors. Yeah, it's, it's owned by the landlord. It's not owned by the flat owner. Okay, that's communal space. Why is it a nightmare? Because communal space management becomes a nightmare because tenants like to put their rugs their um, doormats, their shoes, any number of things I've seen, I've seen unbelievable stuff in communal spaces, all in their communal space. These become several hazards, not so much an ignition uh, source, it's not so much a combustible, which will be the one that everybody goes, oh, we can't have combustibles. If I'm honest, if something is on fire in the communal space, then the building's probably lost already. Um, if there's all the other problems there, however, they do become... Uh, significant tripping hazards for the fire service um, so let me give you an example of how dis- disorientating it becomes when a building is is significantly on fire um, so I once spoke to a fire an ex-fire officer who was known in his uh watch they're called aren't they yeah in his watch as potatoes the reason he was known as potatoes is because he once rescued a sack of potatoes thinking it was a human so this poor bloke went into the room grabbed 
felt around, grabbed what he thought was a body, dragged it all the way out of these block of flats outside, only to realise once he took all his gear off that it was a bag of potatoes. So that just gives you a good example of how dis disorientating it is in a block of flats. So you imagine tripping over one doormat and then getting back up and trying to work out where you are, you could potentially have caused the death of the fire service. So if we just stick with sprinklers, and I've got some other ways that we can deal with communal space management, and I will touch on them in a second, but if we just stick with sprinklers, I've not heard this myself from the actual local authorities, but I have heard from a couple of colleagues in different uh, areas of housing and different companies and so on and so forth. And it was touched on today, but it was nothing confirmed that some local authorities are a bit more lenient on communal space management and will allow you to have stuff in there if you have sprinklers. Um, so whilst sprinklers is not the total answer and it's not the answer for everything and it's not the be all and end all you can manage communal space management um, or design it out sorry not manage it but you can design it out so you know if you're even even if you're refurbing it you want you look at putting mat wells in yeah so that's a little drop hole in the ground where the mat sits in it yeah so that they can provide so you provide a basic mat and then if, the, if your customers want to put a better mat in they can put a better mat in and then you just ask for your original mat back, yeah? Or stop giving them carpets in the hallway. Give them a wipe, a wipe easy floor like laminate or something like that with a massive, massive mat well in their door so they're not worried about ruining their carpets. Things like this, yeah? You can start engineering and designing out the tendency to do this stuff. Stop leaving massive redundant spaces in flat designs, yeah? Maybe maybe put a door on it. You know, there's a lot of engineering stuff that needs to be discussed around it, and I am far from a fire engineer, yeah? But let's try and just have these conversations way, way, way down the line when we're designing the building. So if you're involved in that process, be asking those questions. Hey, Mr. Builder, Mr. Architect, how can we design out communal space management? <clears throat> so... We talked about a hell of a lot of stuff here, but essentially we're just talking about having that risk-based mindset, yeah? Looking at the whole picture in a holistic manner. So it was really, really difficult to decide on five quick tips to immediately improve your fire safety management. Um, it, it, I'm still unsure whether, whether I like these, if I'm honest. Um, anyway, let, let, let's, let's go with it. Okay, so five quick tips to immediately improve your fire safety management. And when I say immediately, that take that with the biggest pinch of salt that you can pinch. It won't immediately improve your safety management, but it will give you a very good understanding and it will help you manage going forward. So firstly, check the competence of your fire risk assessors. We touched on it a minute ago, didn't we? So if you've got fire assessors, check their competence. If they're internal, check the guidance and and work out a phase plan how to bring them up to that level of guidance. If they're external, look at the guidance and ask the questions. Are they up to this level? If not, how can you, how can you uh, prove to me they are competent? They might come back and say, hey, we're accredited. Great, that's perfect. Another one within that, I would say, is um, don't, don't leave them alone. Don't just leave your fire assessor to go off on their own. Every other fire risk assessment, um, sorry, every other risk assessment we do, 
we would tell you, anyone trains you to do a risk assessment, they'll tell you to do it in teams. So if you're doing it on a machine, for example, you would get the operator, you would get the team leader, you would get the engineer, and you would get maybe the safety rep and the safety um, guy, the advisor, safety person. So that's like five people doing a risk assessment. But for some reason, when we do fire risk assessments, we just leave one person to go off on his tod and, and do it. See you later, mate. Off you go. Fix all our fire problems, please. Don't leave them alone. Check their competencies, okay? Number two, clearly define the responsible person, not woolly, all right? Clearly define. Now, I am, again, a big advocate for not being too prescriptive in your procedures and stuff like that. I'm much more of an advocate of raising competency and allowing, uh, enabling your staff to make these decisions, these dynamic decisions. However, when you're defining a responsible person, that needs to be clear, Okay, clear. You are the responsible person. Or this position in my business is a responsible person. So stop beating around the bush and do it. Okay, um, if we're going to look at the Hackett review as well, there's things like building safety managers coming out as well. So you're going to need to define both of those, responsible person for the building and the building safety manager. Normally, a good way to do it is looking at the budget holder. Yeah, who's the budget holder? But bear in mind, the budget holder in a big corporation or a big, uh, big uh, business, sorry, the budget holder can be quite high. Yeah, so just bear in mind that they're not too far removed. If the budget holder is quite high, yeah, maybe try and find a middle ground. Yeah, someone that's got control of the building, they might be like the county manager, for example, if you're a national business, as opposed to the regional manager. The regional manager might cover a massive area and the county manager might cover one county or two county or three county, maybe. Something like that. Try and find that middle ground, okay? Number three. Train and upskill your people. Increase competence, okay? I am probably going to bang on about competence for the rest of my entire life within safety and probably outside safety, right? With competence and good training, so with competence comes confidence, which is something we're significantly lacking at the moment, especially around fire, right? But with confidence comes common sense. So we all go, no common sense anymore, you can't rely on it. No, 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 there's no confidence. When people are confident that they're competent in their job, they have common sense and they feel enabled to apply apply that, that common sense, yeah? So... Competence breeds confidence, breeds common sense. Remember that. Confidence, uh, competence, I've nearly ruined it already. Competence breeds confidence, breeds common sense. When you're talking about your training, your department, think about that. Yes, it costs money to raise competency, right? But if we raise the whole competency within our businesses, within reason, don't go over the top. You know, there's no point sending somebody on a, on a degree if they're not, not going to do that. Don't train someone to be a fire risk assessment when they're not going to do fire risk assessments. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about being reasonable, but think this is where I would sit now, which is a bare minimum, two e-learning courses, brackets, I hate e-learning, close brackets, anyway, yeah, let's just take a couple of steps up, so maybe we're talking like, maybe everyone goes on IOSH working safely, or IOSH managers safety, which varies on the, the trainer, whether that's good or not, which brings me to my next point, which is kind of a tip within a tip, is when you're hiring trainers, don't just go to the nearest trainer and hire, and hey, I want a manual handling training course, you, you come here. Yes, I do manual training courses. Oh, great, thanks. How much is that? Oh, you're nice and cheap. Yeah, 
Go with the same concept of those fire assessors. Look at them. Say, hey, can you come in and deliver us a little mini course, an example of what it looks like? Can you send us the pack so we can see all the material you're going through? If there is more than oh, five slides without anything else, don't hire them. We've all heard the phrase death by PowerPoint, right? It's called death by PowerPoint for a reason. Yeah, don't hire them. You want to see... A couple of PowerPoints is fine, or a couple of PowerPoints and then a video and then a game and then PowerPoints and then a game or whatever, or some kind of exercise, yeah, that's fine. You want to see customer engagement, which is your delegates, so your, your staff, you want to see them get in the room engaged. This trainer should be enthusiastic, yeah? Enthusiasm is infectious. So if your trainer is absolutely buzzing and you're running around the room being like, whoa, yeah, this is the best thing ever, eventually the room will pick up on that, right? Enthusiasm is infectious. So get these people in front of you, get them delivering a course before you purchase the course off of them. Okay, tip number one, where are we? One, two, three, four. Tip number four, know what you have and where you have it. Okay, so this is probably more prevalent for people that own buildings or manage buildings or responsible persons of buildings, right? So we're talking about what you have. We're talking emergency lights, bio alarms, extinguishers, dry risers, any number of things, sprinklers. Just know what you've got and where you've got it, okay? So once you've got that, and we, maybe we're talking about an asset register for big places, so it's, it's a fair old task, I understand that, but it's vital, guys. Get it. Once you've got it, start looking at the relevant British standards for all these things and maintain them, okay? The British standard will give you a maintenance level. Whether that's just regular inspections that you could do with your person that run, that's working in the building or in the factory or whatever, or it means you've got to get another contractor in. You've got to be maintaining this stuff. Just remember, if you put it in there, you've got to keep it there. And you've got to keep it there, then it's got to be working, okay? So... Another tip within that tip, see I'm, I'm cheating here aren't I, these are not five quick tips, these are like 15 hidden tips within five tips, anyway, we're also talking about know where you have it and what you, what you have and where you have it, I'm talking about like drawings and original building strategies and drawings, this stuff can really help your fire assessors, yeah, can really up the quality of your fire assessments, so try and get that stuff, difficult, once you haven't got it, you know, going back to the builder, hey, I know you built this in the 1980s, but any chance you can get this, yeah, if you haven't got it, go and get it, yeah, so if you're not sure on the fire strategy, go and hire a building surveyor to come in and do it, it it's worth it, if you, if, you, if you've got and you don't have to do that if you've got like just a factory or a collection of factories. You know, you, you don't have to do that. If, you, if you're talking that you've got a simultaneous evacuation, your risk of life just drops immediately as long as you practice in that and you've got good procedures around that. So I'm probably talking more about places with sleeping risk, yeah? So I'm talking about healthcare industry, hospitals, care homes, uh, and the housing industry, yeah? These documents are key. And if you don't have it, go and get it. Okay, and last tip, don't be scared to do more than the law. Okay, have a look at the guidance, look at all the available systems and systems for when I say systems, I mean procedural systems and fixed systems. Yeah, so there's like some amazing stuff out there like portable sprinklers and things like that, especially in housing, you could utilize these for like higher risk patients, yeah, or, or vulnerable people that can't evacuate the property. 
don't be afraid to do something more. So I touched on in the last episode, and I and, and I am. Do you know what? I I talk about it now. Actually, I was going to talk about this separately, but I talk about it now. So don't be scared to use things that are that are designed for one thing in a different way. So I'm I'm going to talk about peeps here. So I touched on it in the last one about a colleague, um, who who did an amazing thing. So basically, these these peeps were for uh. Peeps are normally for getting people out of the building. However, this this peep was essentially used to help the the fire service and other uniform service highlight the risk of these people might pose to them. So it's like mental health basically. So they they had an adverse reaction to uniforms. So the peep, for example, so the peep would say, "FY, this person reacts adversely to uniforms." So it was. It's just such an innovative, outside, outside the box, outside the box thinking. And they didn't have a solution, so they looked at what they had already, and they turned it into a solution. It was phenomenal. I was so impressed. I was absolutely budging when I come off that. And that's, don't be afraid to think outside the box, and don't be afraid to do more, okay? Don't be afraid to not do, go over the top as well, which which we'll talk about. But when it comes to things like fire especially, you know, the law is quite basic. Don't be afraid to do more. Yeah, think about that example of the wheelchair user on the second floor. Yeah, completely made that up, but I'm telling you what, based on the conversations I've had, that happens. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode, guys. I really hope it helps you. Um, I was bummed, you know what, I'm feeling really good now that I've got that message out there. I really, really hope it helps you. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's been episode three. Um, I'm buzzing that we're, we're at episode three. I'm looking forward to episode four. Um, anyway, I'll see you guys in the future and the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.